I'm so fed up with the sound of my own voice. And yours, Pen. And Dan's. Just fed up of all of us. Okay, we're keeping that bit in. Hello and welcome to The Unusual Suspects. This is episode 49. My name is Andy. That was obviously Penny. Say hello. Obviously. Could have been the soundboard. It definitely wasn't. It was definitely you. And with us, we have Dan. But not the regular Dan. It's the other Dan. Wagwan. The other Dan. How are we all doing? Yay. Hi, Dan. Hello. Yeah, not too bad at all. Excited to be here. Number one fan, Dan. Ready to rock and roll. Fuck yeah. You can come on the Punktastic podcast and be excited. Whatever you want. <laughs> All right. I know very little about punk music. It's fine. Neither do we. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> so, as a, I've got to stop clicking this mouse. It's so fucking loud. You do. So, as always, we're going to introduce you with some fucking quickfire questions and work out who you are. Are you ready? Born ready. Cool. Favourite film? <laughs> Ironically... Thief of Vendetta is number one in my list. Oh. I have a sleeve full of my favourite films from my formative years. Also includes Predator, the first Rambo, Pulp Fiction. These quickfire questions are going to take a long time. Well, I like some of those, so at least you won't hate me. <laughs> favourite actor? Samuel Jackson. Favourite band or artist? NWA. Nice. Favourite colour? Mm. Lime green. Jesus, that's Ooh. everyone's gone for black so far. Out of left field. Oh, apart from one, cat said red. I Does think. she? I wasn't fucking paying attention. You should know that. No, I don't care. Favorite word? <laughs> Fuck nugget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Favorite sandwich? Ooh, cheese and pickle. A nice basic one. That's interesting. Snatch or lockstock? Snatch, hundred percent. I think we're <sighs> with three for we're three like 50, now. Fifty-fifty with that ish. Yeah. And finally, favorite host. Penny. Yes! Fuck, I'm still on no. I've got no one voting for me yet. No. Oh, you're my favourite. This favorite. is outrageous. No, no, you're just saying that because you have to. Now. I mean, I don't have to. I ran on the assumption that you'd already been voted for. No. <laughs> you were no, wrong. No, nobody cares about me. That's the problem. Not even his own girlfriend voted for him. Yeah, she didn't give a shit. Anyway, we've... You're my favourite person, though. Does that help? No, it fucking doesn't. Like in life. But you are. Yeah. That's why you have to put up with all my bullshit. Yeah, it's true. It's difficult being a PA. Anyway, should we talk about films and shit? Guess so. Pen, do you want to start us off? Hmm. What have you been up to? I am still on my bullshit, so obviously it's a stupid horror film. I've been kind of watching some video game stuff to kind of appeal to... I'm going to call him regular Dan. <laughs> Dan who's not here. The Dan who shall not be named. I don't know. So this time I thought I'd go with something a little more Andy-based. Well, this could be problematic. So... I picked a film called Ravers, which is about a scary energy drink that goes wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not known for my raving. I am known for energy drinks, though. I would love to see you in an industrial warehouse sweating it out oh with God. a home set-up rig. Nothing would make me happier. If that is an option, I will attend with you. I mean, I'll do some digging. We'll see what we can find. <laughs> <laughs> well, we start off with this guy... I've called him the male guy because I felt like he was pushing a little trolley full of post, but I'm not actually sure that that's true now, but that's his name right now. And he is in this industrial warehouse. I think he is the male guy. He gives this guy a letter 
and the guy is like fuck's sake because he's been fired mm. and he just walks off and the male guy is left with like I say a machine it's like a little box with buttons on it and it makes some noises and something goes wrong with it and he doesn't know what to do so obviously he starts pressing all the buttons because that's what you do it continues to go wrong and the male guy's like fuck this I'm out so he bolts and we go into the industrial warehouse where they are having a conversation about the guy that is leaving. And there's lots of shots of bottles of energy drinks being produced and packaged with some ominous music. Don't know why that was ominous, but that's right. Yeah, I don't understand how an energy drink can be ominous. I think it was the music that was ominous rather than the drinks themselves. Yeah. But they're normally like such brightly lit colours. They look, you know, they're a party in a can. No, these were boring. These were bottled Hmm. and they were grey and they looked like, uh, no offence, like Tesco value. Like the old bottles of Kick you used to get. Oh, and the 35p drinks from the newsagent. Yeah, (laughs) lethal. Instead of getting shit-faced in college, we used to drink those really cheap bottles of energy drink and knock back tangfastic and see who could shit themselves first who was the regular first to shit well it was never me my tolerance for energy drinks is frustratingly <laughs> high apparently which came in handy in this game but there was at least one person who nearly blacked out and then doesn't remember getting home because they, they shut out like a portion of their lung oh. hmm. well maybe he was in this movie so one of the guys that works there is eight foot tall he is a fucking unit and i think they actually do some sort of uh, lord of the rings force perspective shit to make him look even bigger but they're all standing around in the warehouse and the guy is leaving and so because he's leaving what do you all do to celebrate you all crack open an energy drink hot off the production line everybody drinks it except the male guy and then all of a sudden the eight foot tall guy fucking loses it and just starts beating the fuck out of everyone right he has gone super saiyan and he is not fucking around <laughs> he is beating everybody up is there any indication as to the reason he goes super saiyan or literally it's just because everybody's having a drink it's because of the energy drinks something okay. has happened to the energy drinks something ominous <laughs> and he's drunk it and it's kicked in and he yeah he beats everyone up there's a lot of like dance and edm music in this so he beats everyone up and eventually he throws a guy into a machine and the guy's head comes out all neatly packaged like a steak on the production oh, line. Nice. Which is weird because they don't package steaks, they package energy drinks. bottles of energy drinks. So why it looks like a meat package, I don't really know. I mean, if they turned his head into like a bottle, that would have been better. Yeah. Is it called Ravers, the drink? I have no idea what it's called. Well, that's a fucking misleading title. <laughs> I don't think they ever say it. Don't remember what they call it. Well, it's because eventually they get to a rave rather than the... Yeah. So then we get to Becky. Becky is played by a lady whose name I can't remember, but she is Torvi in uh, Vikings. If anyone watches that, she is Floki's wife. She was great. And Becky works as a reporter, but she is a bit shit. And her boss is like, if you're going to be a reporter, you need to get your hands dirty. Like you need to get involved and i've just written oh she's a germaphobe i don't really know how we got to that point just all of a sudden she is a germaphobe and she's constantly washing her hands and i think that's why she's not a good reporter because she won't like physically get her hands dirty right so it's not an analogy she just doesn't like touching dirty things but that's less interesting than it could have been this film was not good more things happen near the end so there's a lot of notes which we will skim through quickly and you'll probably just pick up on the ridiculous ones cool she goes to visit her friend Ozzy in a lab 
She won't go in it though because she's a germaphobe, so she has to wear a hazmat suit. Ozzy says they're developing some sort of bacteria and then they get kicked out of the lab. It's all very loose. Plot. Surely a lab is like a clean area anyway. Sanitary environment. Yeah. Yeah, she no. was like, I'm not I'm not going in there. And he's like, well, here you go, wear a hazmat suit and I'll show you. You even get a pretty little fucking coat to keep you clean. Yeah. She went full on hazmat suit and then someone went, what's she doing in here? He's like, oh, she's a reporter. And they're like, you can't bring reporters in here. It's the fucking lab. And he's like, oh, okay. She sounds Sorry. like a fucking weapon. Do you know what I mean? She sounds useless. None of this. like. I, you, already you seem fed up with this film. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally, spoilers everyone, I finished this two minutes before starting the podcast as well. Christ. So I am sick of it. So Ozzy squirts something into his eye and says it will give you a buzz. And she's like, oh, no, that shit's full of additives. <laughs> so we find out Becky is a germaphobe and a bit of a square. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nerds. Yeah, they're going to an illegal rave. So they go to a car park and all meet up. And then once you get to that car park, then you're allowed to know where the rave is. Like so that the police don't know. Right. Like the old text lines. Yeah. Yeah. And Becky's like, ew, no, gross, I'm not going. So she goes home. <laughs> I won't go to a laboratory. I refuse to go to a car park. This woman's really restricting herself. Yeah. Well, then when she gets home, there's a shot of her washing money. And I don't mean like laundering it, like literally washing it. How does she wash it? Just in the sink with soap and water. That's, I was hoping it was going to be like a dishwasher or a washing machine. No. And then this girl turns up, knocks at her door, picks up a box of something. Becky's like, do you want to hang out? And she's like, no, because you're no fun. It always smells like mouthwash in here. I'm going. <laughs> Bye. We never see that girl ever again. I think we are just trying to set up that Becky is a square. Yeah. Because she says Becky's no fun, Becky decides to go to the rave. Again, plot advancement, because that's where all the shit is going to happen. Ironically, the rave is at the old factory where they used to make the energy drinks. That is a twist I did not see coming. Exactly. Oh yeah, when Becky gets to the rave, she wears a face mask, like a COVID face mask, <laughs> and puts her hood up. Everyone's having a rave, and she's got her hood up, and she's got a COVID mask on. Does she at least have like a bright yellow one, like full neons? No, it's like a proper white surgical mask and like a grey puffy coat. She is going to be sweating so heavily. It won't be long before that's running down to her cunt. <laughs> I'm also just thinking this is uh, apparently from 2018, according to IMDb. So they're a little ahead with the masks. It didn't look out of place to me, but obviously. In 2018 it would have, yeah. Yep. Becky and Ozzy are hanging out in the green room with a drug dealer. I never find out his name. I'm not looking it up. He will be officially known as Dealer from now on. Cool. He... Finds a passed out guy, puts him in a random dark room. Has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> There's no... We don't know when the people going apeshit at the factory in the first scene. We don't know how long ago it was between that and when the rave is. But the DJ finds a bunch of leftover energy drinks and obviously gives them out to people. Right. I hope he checked the expiry date. I think that's the least of their problems, to be honest. <laughs> Becky starts dancing with her friend Hannah. They do drugs and kiss. I say they do drugs. I'm sure Hannah put something in her mouth and I assumed it was drugs. Aside but from then her it tongue. doesn't really feel like they did drugs. Yeah, aside from her tongue. Could have just been chewing gum if she's going in for a kiss. Yeah, a mint. Oh yeah, maybe. A little polo. Yeah. Maybe they were, she was also trying to make her shit herself. Isn't that if you eat too many polos? I think you've you got to eat that? like an absolute fucking mountain of polos. Weirdly, some kid in school tried that. I don't know why all my stories today are about shitting, but some kid in school tried to shit <laughs> himself by eating too many polos and it didn't happen. 
only story I have about polos is a girl at school that used to flash for them. <laughs> flash for polos? Yeah, a whole pack. Had to be a whole pack. It wasn't individuals. I mean, that's, well, yeah, that's I mean... profit, isn't it? <laughs> if it's one polo for a single flash, you're not, that, you're not getting much out of it. Way too much value for the person dispensing the polos. <laughs> yeah. It's a buyer's market. Next note just says, obviously, zombies. Oh, ha- so, oh, that's a bit. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. We knew they were going to turn into zombies. I say zombies. Mm. I thought you said it was like eight foot angry yeah, man. I thought they were so just I like... imagined that people got enraged and then now suddenly zombies. Yeah, I was the same. Roid rage. Well, not zombies. I figured it was going to be a zombie movie and they're not really zombies. Something happens to them. Not necessarily roid rage. It's very odd. We'll get into it. But obviously something starts to happen to the people that have drunk it. So the people that haven't are Becky and Ozzy, this girl called Jen and the dealer. Yeah. Someone attacks Jen in the green room because they've drunk the drink and she like ties him up with cable ties and like starts to arrest him and everyone goes, oh, you're a cop. And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so lazy with their like it sounds plot it. points. <laughs> Does sound budget. Becky and a guy run away because people are attacking people. Mm-hmm. They find a room with two people making out in it. They walk up to them. The people making out, he smashes his bottle on the wall and glasses the guy that's Becky's with. And then they just carry on making out. <laughs> okay. Keep going. Ozzy's friend Aaron is a zombie. He kills the DJ. And all he does is just put his own shit music on. <laughs> but it's like the same EDM type music. We've all been there. So though. he changes it. Yeah, we've always wanted to put our own music on at a party, but... Yeah, but I mean, uh, like, to EDM fans, they probably know the difference. It'd be like us putting, you know, switching between metal or punk. Maybe it's just because I don't know anything about that sort of music, but it literally just, uh, he kills the DJ and then puts on something very similar. (laughs) It's really weird because they're not really doing anything yet. The people that are not the zombies, inverted commas, Mm -hmm. know that something is going on. Obviously, they've seen people get murdered. And they're all like, we're in danger. We have to get out. But literally no one else cares. All the zombies are just dancing and partying and raving still. So they're like sneaking around trying to find a way out. And the zombies literally don't give a shit. It's like they're in two separate movies. Really? So the zombies can't smell them out or get attracted to them like they normally would in any other zombie scenario. Nope. They just want to party. Too busy caught in the rave. And do more drugs, as we will find out later. (laughs) I've just written, of course they are locked in. Somebody's locked the door to the warehouse. Yeah, one of the zombies just wants more drugs. They're just like, more, more. And this zombie starts to attack Ozzy. And he's just going, more, more. And he's just walking towards him. And then Ozzy's like, uh, no. Picks up a joint that he finds on the floor and gives it to the zombie. And the zombie's like, oh, cool. And lights it and carries on. Does the zombie actually speak as well? They're functional. Um, They say more a lot. I don't, not speaking full sentences. So I didn't actually say thanks for the drink. <laughs> no, he's just no, semantics, he's... Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To be a bit later on, they are like, well, they're not really zombies, but that's why it's so weird because they're very. It's all very tense for them, but like I said, the zombies don't give a shit. They just want to party. Do you think the message of this film is that if you're on drugs, all you want to do is party? Doesn't sound very probably. Subtle, we get a little bit of science to that effect later on, and I say science loosely. <laughs> Because obviously Ozzy worked in a lab, so he knows things. Yeah. Becky and everyone are trying to get out and they're on like um like a platform, a metal walkway above everybody. Yep. And 
wasn't really paying attention but somebody falls off of i think it starts to collapse and somebody falls off of it the zombies don't care nobody's paying attention until somebody falls onto the turntable and the music goes off <sighs> they're not gonna dun, like dun, that dun. are they they're not gonna no, like they that. don't like that can't party um, with no fucking music exactly <laughs> so they just start shouting more because their party's been ruined Becky runs off and finds her friend Hannah. Hannah has also drunk the drink, but she's not really doing anything. She's just sitting around being like, Meh. she's not partying. She just looks kind of poorly. Maybe it's because of the expiry date. Some of the Maybe she's on a downer. I don't know. Maybe she's about to get a serious bout of those caffeine shits. <laughs> <laughs> so Jen and Ozzy try and fix the music situation. They find a boombox and Ozzy turns it on and it plays Africa by Toto. A classic. I've written, I'm assume it's supposed to be funny. It's not. And then they find some dance music, put that on, and the zombies are happy again. And they carry on raving with their glow sticks. I can't even work out where <laughs> this is going. That's the worst part. I don't know how this is going to conclude, aside from shitly. Yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere. I've never been more confused in my life <laughs> when hearing the plot of a film, if I'm completely honest. And you've listened to every episode of this podcast, yeah, which says a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm 44 deep. <laughs> yeah. Because the zombies aren't really attacking anyone, the dealer's still in the green room and he's got all the drugs and he's just running the bar. The zombies are just stood at the bar and he's giving them drinks and sometimes giving them drugs when they want it and just acting normally. And then, I don't know why, Becky and Ozzy find some paperwork I don't know what they're looking for because I thought they were looking for a door or a way out, but they find some paperwork and it says about the energy drink that they were adding extra testosterone. And Ozzy's like, well, yeah, if you had more testosterone, that would amp up the effect of the drugs that they're on. Right. I'm not a scientist. I question that. don't know if that's true. Are they saying that... A boy's more affected by drugs because they have testosterone? I don't know. I've been to a few raves in my time, a few of these industrial warehouse raves in particular, <laughs> and usually it's the smaller females that are heavily affected by ease more than the burlier guys. So I'm going to yeah. I'm going to debate this point. Yeah. So apparently the extra testosterone in the drink is what's made them into zombies. So they are going roid rage. That's the vibe that they want to they want to sell. A little, but they also they are starting to look kind of veiny and kind of gross and their eyes are starting to look a bit weird as well. All that testosterone is turning them into actual dicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that. Eventually, I've written at one point that their eyes kind of look like bum holes, but they kind of don't. Eventually, they look very puffy. Like if you watched a stupid like Adam Sandler comedy or something and somebody's having a really bad allergic reaction and you know how they make their eyes look super yeah. closed and super puffy that's what they kind of look like so they just look like ravers with allergies <laughs> <laughs> they're raving in a pollen field we are the claritin crew <laughs> <laughs> and this is where Ozzy points out that they're not really zombies that they're they're mutant ravers and they're dragging Hannah around and they need to help Hannah so what is the antidote to testosterone estrogen exactly so ozzy's like we need to get some estrogen so i need birth control morning after pills you know things that women take to raves i mean maybe the morning after pill but you don't take your birth control to a rave depends how long you plan on being there i guess 
You only have to have a five-minute conversation in boots to get a morning after pill. You don't even need to take it to the rave. (laughs) Deal with it with your come down. Yeah. Then Ozzy's like, I need the pills, I need a lighter, water and some gummy bears. Why? I think that's supposed to be funny. I don't know. Pen, like you've picked some shit films (sighs) in the past. This this is frustratingly annoying. I did text you and say, I don't know how funny I can make this. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you the answer. Not that funny. (laughs) Not very. Sorry. No, it's not good. Becky finds some pills in a random handbag as well. It's all just convenient and lazy. It sounds it. Like everything is there at the fucking drop of a hat. Yep. They go back, but Hannah's gone walkabout. She's off. The dealer shanks a guy at the bar. Becky and Jen turn up and the... (laughs) They're like, we need some water, we need some water. And he's like, 10 bucks a bottle. And they're like, what? And he's like, nah, I'm a douchebag. So Jen's like, I'm a policeman, give me the water. Well, and that works, does it? Why doesn't she arrest him if he's a dealer? No, it doesn't work because he's like, um, I know I was dealing and I know this guy's dead, but it was nothing to do with me. And she's like, I don't care, just give us the water. What? I'm just going to completely disregard my duties as yeah. a police officer. <laughs> yep. So he's got like a uh, like a shoulder bag full of drugs and Becky grabs it, covers it in booze and she threatens to light it on fire unless he gives her the water. He doesn't give it to her so she sets it on fire and throws it at him and she grabs the water and runs out and then the dealer is like, he's almost got like a pet zombie. <laughs> There's this one zombie that like listens to him, I guess because it knows he's got the drugs. So he's like, go get her. But it's really weird because why is he able to control this one zombie? It's never really No, that doesn't explained. make any sense. Nope. Then there's a shot of Ozzy having a piss at a urinal next to a zombie. <laughs> then a different zombie shanks someone else. And then we get to the science where... So Ozzy's got his pills. He's got his water. At this point, Becky starts using hand sanitizer because they're like, oh yeah, shit, she's a germaphobe. We forgot. So she starts washing her hands. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to need that as well. And he starts crushing up the birth control. And I'm like, okay. So then he's going to put it in the water and give it to Hannah. I feel like that's a fair assumption. No, because he had extra constituents, didn't he? He needed jelly babies and water. (laughs) Well, he just eats the gummy bears. Okay. (laughs) What a greedy prick. But he does find like a Petri dish and a Bunsen burner. So, well, I thought it was just the birth control and the water, but he's got some sort of jelly looking stuff in the Petri dish. Maybe he puts hand sanitizer because he sets it on fire. Maybe it was gummy bears. No, because he just stood there eating them out of the packet. Well, all of them. Hand sanitizer makes sense. So maybe he puts the hand sanitizer in with it to burn it away so that it becomes a powder. But it was already a powder when he crushed it in the first place. (laughs) This film is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, the science is bad. I used to do cold water extractions on codeine before I went into lesson, and that was with no scientific background. There's guys setting fire to powder to make it powder. Yeah, because later on, they they make her sniff it, because I thought he was just going to, like, give her the water, but I think they put it in a Rizzler, and they hold it in front of her face, but she's, I don't know, not breathing, because they then shove it over her face and put her head back to make her breathe it in or something. They just rub it into her gums. I don't know. It was a powder and then they did something else to it to make it a powder again. Do you reckon they're trying to like disguise it as Coke and that's why she wants it? No, she doesn't. She doesn't. She's just sat there like, she's just monged out and she doesn't even sniff it. They have to like force it up her nose. I'm I'm very much shaking my head here, Pen. Yeah. The dealer gets knocked out by a shelving unit. It fell on him. I don't really know why. (laughs) 
and then some stuff catches on fire. <laughs> it literally sounds like action. Yeah. Random thing that happens yeah. that needs to be there and then plot hole. Yeah. And then yeah. comedy moment, action, plot hole. It's bad. I imagine none of this is explained. Nope. Hannah's fine now because the estrogen worked. No matter how they got it into her body, she's fine. So then her and Becky have a little kiss. The dealer slashes Jen's throat. Then there's a massive fight. There's eye gouging and impaling and strangling. That's possibly the most interesting thing that happens. <laughs> is it decent effects at least? Uh, it's, well, it's not really like the eye gouging. You don't see anything particularly. You just It's quite dark in this industrial unit. It's like, I don't want to say it's implied eye gouging, but it, you don't really see anything. <laughs> We're nearly done. You're good. Because this is so rubbish, it's quick to get through. The next note just says, who's still alive? Who cares? Becky gets out. She manages to get outside. And then a flaming zombie enters a room. There's just a zombie that... Where the fuck has the flaming zombie come from? Well, I guess from where the thing's caught on fire. This zombie also caught on fire. Brushed past the Petri dish. Yeah. Oh, maybe. So Becky is now outside. But for some reason, she's upstairs. Like, she has to jump. Maybe she's on the roof. Maybe that's where she got to. She jumps from the roof into a skip that's like full of slime because that's what you keep. It's like brown, muddy, slimy Yeah. skip because that's what you keep in them. This policewoman, Jen, strangled the dealer, but actually he's still alive and he is coming at Ozzy and Hannah. But then the zombie that was on fire fucking stabs him. The zombie that's on fire that's all burnt is quite good. He's like completely burnt all over and he's got like buggy out eyeballs. Mm. And I think he's the zombie that he was controlling before. It would make sense. And I feel like he's like, yeah, fuck you, dude. And stabs him. He's got no drugs left now, has he? They all got set on fire, so. Yeah. Now Becky's back inside. I think she's trying to find Ozzy and Hannah. For some reason she starts coughing, so she picks up the energy drink. She finds some energy drink on the floor and drinks that. I don't know if they've realised what the problem was. I don't think that they knew that it was the energy drink that was the thing. Are they fucking idiots? They had water with them and they decided to fucking drink the energy drink. I don't think she was with the water anymore because she went outside and inside and in the skip and out of the skip. And she's just like, <coughs> I guess because she swallowed some slime in the skip. But yeah, so she drinks some of the energy drink and she starts tripping balls. And then she's just like for ages trying to push over something that's, I don't even know how to explain it. I think it's bolted to the floor. It just looks like a big fucking metal rectangle. Something's on fire in it and she's trying to push it over, but it's bolted to the floor. Is it the skip? No, it's just like a big metal. Some energy drink production equipment. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's bolted to the floor or bolted to the wall. She can't push it over. She doesn't try to push it over anymore after that. Ozzy and Hannah manage to scare off the burnt zombie because it starts going for them. But they find some drugs and they give it to him and he goes away. <sighs> oh no, he doesn't go away, sorry. They give him the drugs and he takes the drugs and then he starts to melt and then he explodes. Uh, whoa, 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 hang on. <laughs> this is can, you, can you repeat that line, please? So he takes the drugs. I'm not really sure what they were. I don't think he snorts them because he doesn't have a nose. But again, I wasn't really paying attention at this point. He starts to melt like red starts to come out of his already burnt face. He puts his hand up to his face and he's like, Wah! and then he explodes. Okay. So Becky is just laying on the floor tripping balls and someone that looks like Ozzy Osbourne with long hair rescues her. He's like, hey, are you okay? And then she wakes up in a hospital. Becky, Hannah and Ozzy are all okay. Becky's a journalist now and writes her article. And then the male guy is seen in a truck. And in the back of his truck is a bunch of 
barrels with some sort of chemical name on and he sells them to some other dudes and that is the end of possibly one of the worst movies i've talked about on this podcast sorry that was fucking dreadful Mm -hmm. that's one of the worst things i've ever had to sit through yeah at least it didn't take that long no thank god yeah that was 2018's ravers it was stupid not in a good way it was boring it was an hour and a half you've talked about a lot of crap on this podcast and i genuinely think that might be one of the worst things you've ever told us about there's been a couple when i've said to you i don't know if i can make it funny and then you make it funny. and it's always been fine yeah. this one there was nothing no. i could do with this one it just didn't make any sense you don't care about any of them no there's levels to nonsense that you can tolerate isn't there like some yeah. nonsensical films are absolutely fantastic because it takes you a little bit out of what you're doing this sounds like nonsense to the point where you just want to fucking leave yeah i'll be honest i thought about leaving <laughs> yeah me too me too <laughs> Yeah, sorry, Dan. This is not my usual. It's not the high quality shit where you'd normally get. No, but that is the problem when you pick crappy horror films from their names and descriptions. You need to break out of your box, Penny, and and venture into some other genre before you kill off all of your cheesy horror. You're also not going to like me for later on either because I am becoming that, oh, I only like horror movies stereotype. And I'm trying not to be. It's not really working, though. No. Wait till I watch Carousel 2. It'll be fine. It sounds like there might be an opportunity for ravers too, if there's a dodgy man selling chemicals out the back of his pickup. Yeah, they set it up for a sequel. We should um, send him an email, see if we can get involved in it. You know, like try and fucking fix the script. Ravers too. Yeah. I'll be dealer too. (laughs) (laughs) And even if you break it down into, like, I thought it could be a fairly decent zombie movie. You could literally just make a zombie movie where it's not an airborne pathogen or you know whatever in the water like cabin fever i'm like oh cool an energy drink that's gonna make people into zombies you're gonna have ravers fucking murdering each other and it could be pretty good it could have been simple and good i feel like they could have made it more interesting by having it laced with humor instead of overly serious yeah there wasn't anything funny the only bit i can think of was africa by toto yeah and even that's not funny anymore no. That got ruined by Weezer. It's my friend's favourite song, so it kind of made me laugh. I was like, oh, I think they are trying to be funny. It is not working. No. <laughs> so I don't know why this was made, how much it was made for. Oh, it does say comedy horror. There is no comedy in this. Okay, well, it missed both the comedy and the horror then. Fucking hell. What are these reviews? Nine out of ten. Now imagine a rave party, drugs and ravers turning into mutants. Ha 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 ha. This is what this film is about. I loved it. Super original. You need to love B-grade style horror. If No, fuck off. You don't know anything. If not, you will hate this film. Anybody that writes a review and puts the word ha 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 should be killed. To the point where I've just downvoted it and said this was not helpful. Like the special effects are on point. The music is great. The storyline is super original. Maybe you just sold it to us in a really bad way. Maybe if the reviewer was no. here, we'd have, we'd have felt enthralled by the plot. <laughs> You've heard my other sellings of shitty movies. Usually Andy's in <laughs> till about halfway. I was out immediately. He wasn't yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, this is not. I think it's because it was like talking about energy drinks and I'm like, that's my fucking vibe. Don't piss with the energy drink. Well, that's why I watched it. So technically this is your fault. Oh, of course it fucking is. <laughs> Sorry. One out of ten. At least the people in the film had drugs and drink to get them through the awful plot. I had to do it sober. <laughs> The fact that I chose to turn this off and we're in lockdown, so stuck indoors and bored out of my mind, should be evidence as how boring this film was. Jesus. Whoever you are, Mr. Sean B. Badger, you are correct. So yeah, sorry about that, Dan. 
I'll do better next time. He's not going to want to come back now. You've upset him. Well, look, that was an excellent segue from the reviews into uh, into me. <laughs> just into you. Just really quickly, I watched Guns Akimbo recently, the 2019 film with Daniel Craig, where he gets guns like screwed into his hands. What? Fucking brilliant. Oh, I saw the trailer for that. It looked incredible. It's real good. Strong recommend. It's too good for me to talk about. Kat and I watched it together. She was like, I'm not into this. It feels like style over substance. I was immediately sold because it's Daniel Radcliffe. You love him. And by the time it was finished, she was all over it. So, strong recommend for that. Definitely go check that out. But, I have brought... Hey, Marcy. I have brought Marcy, but I have also brought a game with us. Yeah. It is another round of our classic game, Shit or Hit. Good review or piece of poop. Shit or hit. So, shit or hit, Dan, you'll be familiar with this for anyone else who hasn't heard it. This is where I'm going to just read Bollock's uh, reviews and you have to guess the film from them. (laughs) Oh, that was a good segue. I didn't even know. Last time I gave you multiple choice. This time I'm not going to bother. I've gone for cult films. I can give you clues if you require them. But I think they're straightforward enough for you to get... Now here's the here's the catch with this one. Every review is a three out of ten because <laughs> oh, so all films I would watch. Then. All films you would watch because I I sort of browsed around and I thought three out of ten, you get the most entertaining answers. We'll stick with those. Are they all by Sean B. Badger? Because no, I mean they're not. So yeah, shout your name when you know the answer. I'm gonna start. Can I shout? Right now. You can shout whatever you Instead. want. I'm gonna start reading. The first one to shout, I will stop. But we'll continue reading until then. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Born ready. Okay, here we go. The first one goes a little bit something like this. Saw this thinking it was Charlotte's Web. Disappointed, but not a total waste of time. Why is there more than one film starring a talking pig? Why does... This... <laughs> yes, Pen. I don't know what that was. <laughs> um... Why is there more than one film with starring a talking pig? So, logically, I could say the first one because he thought it was shot. I'm going to go with Babe and not go for the sequel. And I might be wrong now. Do you wish to change your answer? I don't know. I was going to say the second one because they've gone, oh, why are there more than two? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I don't know. It's Babe. It's the first one. <laughs> Point. Honey. I managed to like overthink that as I shouted your name noise. I thought you were going to talk yourself into it. <laughs> I think that's why I didn't, because I thought I knew you were going to let me. <laughs> this is one of the short ones. So some of these are like fucking paragraphs long, but this one ends in the best way, I think. Why does this film have a sequel? Why am I a 20-year-old dude reviewing a film about a talking pig mistaking it for another film about another talking pig? So many questions, so little answers. Go watch Charlotte's Web. <laughs> oh, Charlotte's Web is, is a lot. It is. So thank you, Lost Your Apples. It's totes emotion. <laughs> Next up, we have got the following. I personally don't get why people like this movie so much. All I got out of it was a bunch of kids in detention being supervised by an overly aggressive team. Baby! Is it the Breakfast Club? It is Breakfast Club. Dan, is your mic working? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just getting absolutely <laughs> annihilated. That's what's happening. I hear a primal scream and then I'm lost in the moment. I think you might get on a bit of a run with these next ones. Crossing my fingers, mate, because this is embarrassing. 
Well, I knew Penn would be on Breakfast Club. I think you'll get the next few. Right. Is it Scream? Because <laughs> I know I won't I almost it. said Matilda just out of panic as soon as I heard <laughs> Teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that mean you're going to say Matilda if he says paedophile? Damn right. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Okay, here we go. This is a low-rent Blade Runner. There, I said it. It's a Blade Runner for a 15-year-old crowd. It's a dopey, multicoloured mess. It's a sci-fi movie for people who don't like to think too much. It's an annoying exercise in mediocre special effects, dumbed-down storylines, and characters that are so one-dimensional and annoying that they're almost intolerable, a.k.a. Chris Tucker. Just what the hell was that his character supposed to be doing anyway? It's an interplanetary DJ... He narrates nearly half the movie, and it's basically awful. Mila Jovovich is an alien who can't speak English. He tries to communicate in cute foreign speak. Foreign speak. <laughs> oh, is Chris Tucker in that movie? Shit, what is it called? Is it that movie where she's got orange hair and I can't think what it's called? Event, no. Event Horizon. Is that that one? No. It's not. I'm going to have to pass it over. Yeah. <laughs> I am very unknowledgeable on Chris Tucker films. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen one. <laughs> I'll keep going. He's not the star of this film. Milojovic is an alien who can't speak English and tries to communicate in cute foreign speak throughout the movie, but it's just annoying as well. And Bruce Willis as the world-weary cab driver is doing his macho thing as well as he usually does it. But I found this movie exhausting, stupid, amateurish, and just... At me! Just plain... No, you're out. Shut the fuck up. Amateurish oh, and just plain dopey. This is just for Dan now. Damn, I didn't realise I was out. What are you going for? It's the fifth element, right? It's the fifth element. Boom. Yeah, that's which the has only got film I can hair. think of that's got Bruce Willis and Mili Jokovic. You know? oh, yeah. I knew it, but I, for some reason, always get that confused with Event Horizon, and they are not the They're same totally movie, different. and I don't know why I do that all the time. I was going to watch the fifth element recently. It's like four hours long. Is it? It's four two and a half hours long. It's, it's too long. Oh. Too long to start watching when it's 2am, you know? Next up, we have... A movie about a rug. Bowling buddies. Why not make a movie about a lost toothbrush and friends in a chat room? The fat slob is supposed to be entertaining. Me! Is it The Big Lebowski? It is The Big Lebowski. Dan mentioned it, like, earlier when I was talking about cult films. And he was like, I hope it's something like The Big Lebowski. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and then got absolutely rinsed. (sighs) Okay. I think you're going to start taking some punts on these, Dan. Get in there early. Yeah, yeah. Right. The next one goes as this. Another of Finch's tiresome gay fantasies involving rough trade with shave heads and one pathetic female outsider. Lots of muscle, sweat, grime, androgyny, faux noir scenes. Hey David, been there, done that, still bored to death by it. You know, actually, it was on its way to becoming a nice, different kind of thriller, but the writers apparently ran out of ideas and turned it into a groaner. I literally groaned and shook my head and stayed only to see how it ended. It's a film from 1999. I'm just trying to think of like mega homo films with only one woman around and a lot of androgyny. I'm pulling blanks here. That makes me think of me, of Mad Max, but I don't know if that's a David Fincher movie. It's not. Dan, Mad Max. (laughs) (laughs) I said me. It's not Mad Max. It's not Mad Max. How would you like me to add more clues? Do you want the cast list? Yeah. Okay. Helena Bonham Carter. Edward Norton. Me! 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 Yeah. No. Is that a David Fincher movie? I don't know. Is it Fight Club? It is Fight Club, yes. It's one of my favourite movies and I don't know who directed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good movie nerd. Well, this is turning into a bit of a whitewash and I feel bad about it now. 
What's the score? Where am I at? How far behind am I? We're halfway through. It's currently... Normally I'd feel bad, but I never beat those guys, so I feel a bit It's currently 4-1 to Penny. (laughs) Right, here it comes. My redemption. You could smash every single one of these and be Or I could continue to be a huge failure. (laughs) Well, we'll see. (laughs) Okay, next up, a couple of questions you have to ask yourself. In the beginning, you see a mime gang. Now, come on, how threatening is a mime going to be? Second... All these hardcore gangs are actually getting changed and paying for their train tickets. Yeah, that's badass, isn't it? I have to say I was disappointed with this film, especially with the super soft gangs who look like they were all racing home to mummy, a comfy bed, glass of milk and their teddy bear. I was expecting a bleak future styling, maybe something along the lines of Escape from New York. All I got was a futuristic look of the 70s, a lot of empty streets and some subways. Is it Gangs of New York? No and some subways that always turned up on time. The only redeeming character was the baddie Bottle Fingers. Bottle Fingers. Fuck. Mm. Gangs of New York was a guess. I've never seen that. This is a film from 1979. I would say this is a true oh. cult classic. Uh, Dan. Mm-hmm. The Warriors? It's the fucking Warriors. He's on a roll. Oh, he's yes. won. I mean, right, he's got one point. Not he's won. That was, <laughs> that was ridiculous. These are some great 3 out of 10 reviews though, aren't they? Hmm. They're well structured. Who's giving Fight Club 3 out of 10? Fuck you. Not you. Yeah. Okay, next up. Cannot understand why this movie gets high scores. The content is so bad, gloomy, and unreasonable. It's an. Ag- Me! The film I just watched. I'm kidding. Carry on. Oh, you nearly lost if I can go there. No, come on. Comedic effect. The content is so bad, gloomy, and unreasonable. It is exaggerated too much. How can a mad guy who kills three people become a symbol for a mad society? How can rich Dan? men... Psycho? No. How can rich men always badly treat or make difficulty to poor guy? This is really badly written. I should have checked. Is Dan uh, out now? Yes. Okay, keep going. I might Until we start getting back down to the uh, characters. And then okay. he's back in. Any reason for a mad crowd tries to protest a senator who is just there standing as a candidate for president position. Three stars for a good performance for the main character. I'll be honest, I didn't read this before putting it in, and it's a fucking shit show to read. Doesn't make any sense. Well, I thought it was something, but that's not got a senator in it. I don't remember there being a senator in this film. Oh, well, I just I thought it was me. I didn't think it was me. I thought it was American Psycho. No. I assume that's what Dan was going for as well. American Psycho. But no, you're both incorrect. This film came out, I think, in 2019. Oh, the line caller. Let me check. A person that kills three. Me! Can I go me again? Are we both in? Are we catchphrase rules in this? Uh, you are now both back in, yes. Me! Is it Joker? It's Joker. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I watched that like 10 days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Dan, I don't know where this is coming from because, as you have heard, I suck at these. Usually. I told you at the beginning, you're my favourite. I'm giving you your chance to be <laughs> oh, a complete champion, and that is my get out of jail for being so embarrassingly bad. We've had the one where I lost on my favourite film, didn't we? So yeah. that was embarrassing. Yeah, one of the greatest moments of Suspect's history, I think. You'd mentioned it 30 seconds before yeah. and then fucked it. Dan, theoretically, if you get the next three correct, you can draw this game. Right, that's it. That said... You can do it, I believe you in you. you've had a great day out... <laughs> Ooh, does that mean I win some no. money? No, it fucking doesn't. I'm not oh. paying for it. Sounds like bloody care in the community. It is a bit, isn't it? <laughs> okay, right, here we go. 
Firstly, the action is just him shooting people in the face the whole movie. Sometimes he rolls around before shooting him in the face. Sometimes he grabs their neck then shoots them in the face. Needless to say, he shoots them in the face. This is really boring. Secondly, the acting. He still can't act. His face is a bit older, which makes him seem less like a goof. This is the only positive thing about this movie. I really am in shock that people think this is a cult classic or at all good. It's painful to watch from the beginning. You know exactly how this movie will go down. A movie... With a goof who shoots people in the face. Face shooting. I would say these days he's not necessarily known as a goof. I want to say goofy movie so bad, but it's obviously not that. I'm just trying to be funny. This film came out in 2014. Who's not goofy anymore? It's had two sequels. A third is in production. A third sequel. A fourth in the series. Ian McShane is in it. I am. I've got no fucking clutching it. Don't do action movies. I've got no fucking idea. Uh, I can tell you the lead, but that will 100% give it away. You say that, but I could be like, Arnie used to be goofy-ish, but I still don't know any movies that he's really. It done. had a dog in it. Dan, the oh. only Ian McShane film I know is oh, Crank. No, he's not in Crank. That's but you're on not? the right line. <laughs> Ish. It's a little bit darker than Crank. James Bond doesn't shoot people in the face. I don't know. Action movies. I'm going to get this. I'm like meditating on my Ian McShane knowledge, which is almost nothing. It has Willem Dafoe in it. Willem Dafoe as well. It has Alfie Allen. Then it is Dan. Yeah. John Wick. It is John Wick. Boom. Just like slowly piecing together cast and crew members. (laughs) Who who would all be together? It's got to be Wick, right? Yeah. John Wick. I don't want to see the whole thing with the dogs. I've never watched it. You could miss the first five minutes and you won't see it. (laughs) Yeah, true. Okay, two left. It's still... All to play for. Some to play for. Anybody's game. Okay, next up. If this film really reflects the American reality, then I feel sorry for American youth. Can't say much about the film itself. It's somewhat funny at times, but overall it's vulgar and obnoxious. The plot is far-fetched, at least from my perspective. The acting is mediocre. The soundtrack is fine. I gave it a generous 3 out of 10. This film came out in 1999. Me! Is it American Pie? It's American Pie. Yeah. What do you mean the soundtrack was fine? Fuck you. All right. Great soundtrack. And the last one. We're playing for pride now, Dan. We're playing for pride. <laughs> well, don't say that. That went a long time ago. <laughs> 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 Okay, this last one. My 46-year-old mother bought this movie since she loved the books. And I was a little iffy about it since the internet communities I frequent were not fans. But finally... Me? Is it Fifty Shades? No. But finally, one day, I mustered up enough boredom to watch some of it. I was really unimpressed within the first 30 minutes, so much so that I had to stop watching The Atrocity and find something more amusing to do, like watching golf or something. But a week later, I got bored enough to finish watching it. Severely not impressed. First off, the leading character was massively pale herself and would have been confused of whether or not she was a vampire if I didn't have some minor outside knowledge already. Calm down. The confusion didn't end there as she gets a crush and falls in love with this completely emotionless vampiric character. The massive pitfalls of this movie is when I saw that these vampires sparkle in daylight. Dan, Twilight. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh. I was like, vampires, vampires, vampires. It's not going to be Blade. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I should have put Blade. My 46 year old mother loved the Blade book. <laughs> <laughs> she might be a big comic nerd, we never know. True. Well, thank you both for joining. Yeah. It was thanks. actually closer than I expected at the midway point. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to restore my pride. The final scores were a four to Dan, six to Pam. And it's her Ooh. first victory in a game, I believe. No, I beat Brad. I keep telling you this. Yeah. I just can't beat you or Dan. Yeah. I've never lost. That's the smugness coming out. Anyway, that let's move smugness. on <laughs> to this week's <laughs> film from the shoe. Dan, what film did you bring with you this week? I bought my personal favourite, as asked earlier, V for Vendetta. 2005. Uh, this is a film based on the Alan Moore comic book. I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty of the comic book later. I'm not going to lie. I've been told to say this. If it's not good enough for Alan Moore, then it's not good enough for me. Because it will make me sound smart. Okay. Who told you to Thanks say that? that? My friend Elle told me to say that because I told him I didn't like it. Sorry, Dan. No, no <laughs> and he went, just say that and you'll sound smart. So I've said it. <laughs> but I can't lie to the listeners. I'm not smart. Well, Alan Moore has got a history of not liking his own properties. So I've been told. I think he's had four comics made into films now. This one, which he wasn't a fan of. Watchmen, which he said was fine. From Hell. From Hell. And the final one, which really fucked him off and essentially made him refuse giving the properties to anyone ever again, was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Which I can't blame him for. That film was so bad, Sean Connery retired. <laughs> it was a fucking horrendous film, that League it's, of Extraordinary Gentlemen. so crap. I was discussing this literally last week with a guy from work who was quite impassioned by it. And oh. after about seven minutes, I physically had to remove myself from the situation before I started <laughs> a physical confrontation. <laughs> so, Viva Vendetta. This film is dense, but we'll go through it quickly. <laughs> The film opens with a brief reminder of Guy Fawkes. For all of our American powers out there, Guy Fawkes tried to blow up the House of Parliament in London in 1605 with the gunpowder plot. I'd like to take this opportunity to say that the period costumes upon inspection, like looking at this with my critical lens for the first time rather than pure enjoyment, it was probably the worst period clothing and outfits I've ever seen in a reenactment. Yeah, they didn't look good. You say that, but I did not know when, not the 1605 bit was set, but the rest of the film was set until somebody told me. When did you think it was set? Just out of curiosity. I had no fucking idea because originally Natalie Portman's annoying Victorian English accent threw me and then everyone else being a Cockney geezer, but then they're on telly. So is it like late 2020 in the end? Yeah, it's set in 2020-ish. Yeah, so why is everyone talking like it's Victorian England? I didn't understand. It's just her. She... mm, I don't like her. (laughs) (laughs) She's my celebrity crush. Is she really? She just doesn't seem to enjoy doing movies anymore. She didn't seem to enjoy being in Star Wars. She didn't seem to enjoy being in Thor. I think she peaked at Leon. And that was her first role. Yeah. My favourite Natalie Portman portrayal is probably King Arthur. The only time that you see a cheeky nipple from her. Ah, well, I'll be watching that Ooh. the second we start recording. wonder if they gave her some polos for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think cute. they actually made her catch pneumonia. I think they're dragging oh. her along some ice. That doesn't sound fun. Anyway, so we cut to a clip of a nationally run propaganda sort of Alex Jones style of show like Piers Morgan but worse he was so creepy run by Lewis Prothero and he 
describes how the world has essentially gone to shit. America, or as he likes to call it, the ulcered sphincter of arse Erica, <laughs> uh, is a country that had everything and now it's been torn to shred thanks to a civil war and the whole of Europe is now fucked because of a pandemic that has turned it into a state full of lepers, essentially. He refers to being on the borders of the UK and seeing heathens, homosexuals and terrorists and eventually just he just fucking talks bollocks and it's quite clear from the first couple of minutes that it's not a pleasant country to be in. We then meet Evie who is played by Natalie Portman, Dan's favourite. Was that a bill I heard? Nope. She's getting ready to leave her flat although there is a curfew. I don't know why she's doing this. Isn't she going to go and she... She's going to go and bang Stephen Fry. She's going to go see Daddy Dietrich, yeah, Stephen Fry. Which is weird. En route, she gets accosted by two dudes who... Why are they called finger men? They put a lot of sort of sexually inclined stuff into this film to, like, supercharge it. They're always talking about, like, homosexuality. They always include some sort of romanticised thing. There's a level of trying to keep sexuality as, as part of the plot the whole way through. So I think the finger men is just another way to add it. I was just like, isn't this a government agency in the end? And they're called the finger men. Well, yeah, they're, they're basically MI6 because they're the Creedy's uh, Black Baggers, aren't they? Yeah. Wow. And then they're the Finger Men. So I was doing some post-watching research. It took me six hours to watch this, by the way, because I had to keep stopping it to make notes. It felt like six hours. Oh, no, Penny. Sorry. Penny. So they're the Finger Men, obviously. Later on, you've got someone who's referred to as the voice. Well, I think that's Prothero, isn't it? Prothero is the voice, yeah. You've got a mouth somewhere, uh, Dascom, who does all the propaganda. So they all have like specific body parts. So I think that's why they're called the finger men. Although oh. that's never fucking explained in this. There's a lot of stuff in this film that is missing from the graphic novels that you'd, you'd have a much better understanding if you come in watching this film from reading the graphic novels as opposed to seeing it as a standalone. As a standalone, it can be quite mm -hmm. confusing. So Evie leaves the flat and she's accosted by two dudes. It turns out that they're cops, but she only realises after she pulls mace on them, she apologises and they're like, well, we're not accepting it. By sunrise, you'll be the sorriest arse in London, if not the sorest. <laughs> And it's a bit, mm. like, it's uncomfortable already. She'll certainly be uncomfortable afterwards. Three. Then we see the hero of the film, V, who appears from the shadows and fucks yeah, him up. He loves long words more than Russell Brand, doesn't he? Yeah, he is overly verbose. It's just like he swallowed a thesaurus and pissed it out. To the point where I struggled to understand what was going on without subtitles. Yeah, that first bit i mean he beats them up and then talks to her and i was like if he's gonna talk like this with this much all the way through like i can't hold that much information today like he gets less wordy and verbose but this bit i was like if he's gonna talk like this all the time and added like 17 extra words to a sentence i can't deal with it you gotta also try and think of it from the perspective of v himself like yeah. he's been planning this for a very long time and mm -hmm. this speech is all part of his introduction of his character essentially like the first time that i watched the film like it seems like that it seems like it's trying too hard to just put as many words in and yeah. exaggerate as many syllables as possible but if you watch it a second or a third time and you become more familiar with it it's actually really mm. well constructed well particularly because he uses words that are v heavy and then says you can call me v yeah so he's yeah you know he is doing it with intent 
He then takes her up to a rooftop and asks her the date, to which she replies, it's November the 4th, but not anymore. Not anymore. He recites the old Guy Fawkes uh, poem. Can we remember it? Remember, 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 remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder, gun treason, treason and, plot. and plot. Something, There is no something reason else that the gunpowder treason should, should ever be, be forgot. Correct. Then he starts conducting an invisible orchestra <laughs> to the music of... 1812 overture that then starts to play through road speakers. I can't remember what they're called. They're like tannoys, aren't they? It's like a PA system yeah. on the street. He dedicates it to Lady Justice, who's taken a holiday because the place seems so corrupt. And then the old Bailey law courts explodes. Kablamo. Kablamo. So we meet the High Chancellor Adam Sutler. He's essentially the Hitler of the uk i think <laughs> there's a lot of imagery that sort of shows this off with him doing speeches with big black and red motifs mm. behind him and people marching and a lot of like arm raising uh so we meet him he is the leader of the state and he's just an all-round sinister prick he's like shouting at everyone he's got these like fucking chummies around him and he wants a ban on the 1812 overture and essentially covers up the explosion of the old bailey as a planned demolition <laughs> An emergency um, demolition, but with fireworks just to make it fun. Yeah. It shows his insecurity quite well from early on in the film. The whole film, all the way through, all he does is either bury or hide from what's happening around him whilst trying to flex on power that he had a long time ago. Yeah, he never takes responsibility. He either blames everyone else or he um, kicks off about stuff. We then meet Creedy who is the head of the secret police and the dude who runs the Fingerman. Creepy Creedy. Creepy Creedy. (laughs) And a chief inspector for New Scotland Yard called Finch. So, it turns out that Evie works for BTN, which is the British Television Network. Network, thank you. And it's here that we meet Daddy Dietrich, played by Stephen Fry. His first name is Gordon, but we'll call him Daddy. Do we have to? Yep, that's who Evie was on route to meet the night before. At this point, we don't know why, but we'll come back to it. Finch and Stone are investigating Evie as they saw her in CCTV footage with V during the explosion. They turn up at BTN to apprehend Evie. However, V is there and he takes control of the station. Now, bearing in mind this is like a fascist state that they have like emergency protocols that will run to every screen. And he takes over that and then tells them everything needs to change. He admits to bombing the old Bailey. And if you believe that something must change in one year from now, be at the Houses of Parliament and we shall stand together. Fuck yeah. I like the continuity that they use. When they first introduce the broadcast, they sort of settle you in quite nicely to all of the people that are going to become relevant in the mm-hmm. later scenes here. You yeah. get to see the young girl that's quite pivotal in the plot. Yeah. starts to familiarise yourself early with it. Yeah, so there is a lot of imagery that I have caught sort of cut out of because I'm fucking... I cut some shit out. There's too much. There's a lot going on. But you are right. There is a lot of people who make appearances throughout. And whenever we see the screens, we see reactions of people on the street who are the Cockney gazers that Penn likes. (laughs) So we do see a young girl and her family. We see a couple of working-class people. We see people at the pub. We see, like, nursing homes. And we essentially see, like, their reaction to things and people reacting to both the stuff from Sutler and Prothero and the broadcasts from V. 
Like goggle box. They do it to antithesize a bit, I think, because everybody that's broadcast is the lower class grassroots, the people who would actually genuinely want to make a difference in, in such a fascist mm. state. And then yeah. they highlight it's always immediately after they've highlighted Sutler kicking yeah. off and screaming his way down a microphone at his team. Yeah, totally. So the cops storm in, everyone is dressed as V because he has dressed them up and he uses that to escape. Oh. He kicks the shit out of some people. And just as he's about to get a lift out of the building, he is stopped by Finch's deputy. I don't know his rank, but he's called Stone. Blueberry for Graves, who interestingly was Lestrade in Sherlock. Luckily, Evie peppers raise him, knocks him out, and in the aftermath, Stone swings at her, knocks her out. V then beats him up and knocks him out, and then takes Evie back to his hidden bunker. It's a bit like Batman's lair, but with art and shit. The Shadow Gathering. I've written eye roll next to that, I'm afraid. <laughs> I imagine that's there's more of a reference to that in the comic. It is, yeah, Probably. yeah. It's one of the many things like that would translate better if you've read the novel. Well, I've got the novel, but I haven't read it. It's literally in my hand. <laughs> you really should read that, mate. It's fantastic. Yeah, I've got a lot of shit that I've read yet. So, Evie is now in the bunker, the Shadow Gathering, and asks why V to go there, and he says because they would have killed you. You're going to have to stay here for a year. Which confused me, because I didn't think that was the case. Yeah. Then I remembered a couple of scenes down the line. I have at this point noted that Natalie Portman's accent is weird. This is the first time you hear her properly saying anything longer than like a couple of sentences. Pen, I know you think it's Victorian English. I felt it was a little bit South African. Like a couple of notes further down, I'm just like, nobody talks like this. Like I'm not talking about the way V talks, because he's over the top and theatrical and that, but just... Everyone else in the film, I'm like, nobody talks like this. She was very much like, oh, what are you doing? I'm making breakfast. But like, I don't know. I found the dialogue all the way through to be very... It's probably a deliberate choice, but I couldn't tell you why. Yeah. At this point. So we get a bit of background into Evie's family. She was orphaned at 12. Her parents were arrested as freedom fighters slash terrorists. They specifically use the word terrorist. One died of a hunger strike and her dad died when the shed was being stormed. I don't know what the shed is. I don't seem to remember there being a reference to it. Mm-hmm. Her brother also died at St. Mary's. And they're shocked at that. But we find out what that means later. The following morning, Evie wakes up at V's and he is making her breakfast. He's wearing a Dayton tea little apron, which is rather <laughs> fetching. And we also get to see his hands, which, oh, yeah. again, at this point is meaningless. But later down, you understand why that's important. She asks if he meant what he said with the blowing up of Parliament stuff. And he says a building is a symbol, as is the act of destroying it. Symbols are given power by people. Alone, a symbol is meaningless, but with enough people, blowing up a building can change the world. He says that, but better than me. I like that she's like, you really think blowing up Parliament will make the country a better place? And I'm like... "Mm." She's preaching to the choir for me, to be fair. (laughs) One of the earliest notes I've got in here is like, this is almost a direct comparison. Every single one of the politicians (laughs) in this film is an absolute cunt. And every Mm. single conservative that I have representing this country for me right now is an absolute cunt. And I thought it fit quite well. Yes. It's definitely (laughs) topical, isn't it? And I've written, do you think Boris watches himself in the shower? Because you know that TV guy? (laughs) I know he's the TV guy, but he's in the shower and he's watching his own TV show of him spouting all that bullshit. No, that's not him. That is his double. That's why he's shouting down the phone to the guy in the shower. This fucking prick thinks he can play Uh, me. Fire him. Oh, I see. 
so yes, as discussed, we see Prothero. Uh, he's having a shower. He's talking more outrageous bollocks, and he's essentially repeating what is being said on TV by his double. But he is apoplectic at how he is delivering it better than the other guy, and he's not happy about it. He did have an impeccable medicine cabinet, though. To say that, I was very <laughs> impressed with the amount of pharmaceuticals that that man was holstering in his cabinet. I mean, I'm impressed by the state of his bathroom. It's fucking massive, but it's pitch black. Yeah. It's like black tiles everywhere. That's got to be a nightmare to clean. He doesn't clean with, it, With, you know, he? the chalky water we have in the South Coast. That's a boring Imagine statement, Imagine the it? fucking line scale build-up. <laughs> oh, my God. The maintenance on that is horrendous. Still it, man. <laughs> He's also got a gold phone. That's no, just extra. Anyone else notice that? His phone was gold. No. Isn't that quite common? Don't iPhones come in gold as an option? Well, it is now, but it wasn't oh. then in 2004. In 1872. <laughs> <laughs> so, V goes in and he just sort of fucks him up. And it turns out, I think we've learned now that he used to work at a correctional facility as a... Douchebag. One of the major shareholders, like the director of it or something? He was a general, so he was the military overseer of the operation. He made sure that everything was going off smoothly. So as we're seeing a flashback of him being there and stuff, we also see a shadowy figure walking out of a flaming building. So he used to work for Viadoxic Pharmaceutical as well. Yeah, he's got a stake and share investment in it, yeah. Yeah. This is getting... uh... There's so many fucking, like, threads to tie together with this film. So... The next day, Evie and V are watching The Count of Monte Cristo when a news report comes on saying that Prothero had died of apparent heart failure and that everyone is going to miss him. No, no, His no. heart definitely failed. It did, but oh, at the hands yeah. of a madman with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> My one pickup from this is after that happens is you've got the little interview on TV where Evie first sees her colleague conducting that news to say that yeah. Prothero had died, where she points out her tell. I was just interested as to what your tells would be. Do you have a tell that you're aware of? Uh, probably that I'm fucking talking. I don't know. <laughs> so anytime you're talking, it's bullshit. Mate, as you know, I talk a lot of bollocks. Yeah. I can bullshit myself out of most situations. Hence why I'm fucking hosting. You're right. Some of us host the other one. What about <laughs> you, Penny? Do you have any tell? Um, I feel like if I did, I wouldn't want to tell people. I don't think, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I'd probably do something like fiddle. Something or like, maybe not play with my hair, but I probably, I feel like I maybe... You touch a part of yourself. Yeah, I feel like I don't really do it anymore, but I seem to remember somebody once, maybe not when I was lying, but I feel like I remember someone saying when I was a kid, if I was getting in trouble, I would like rub the back of my neck or something. That was a weird... Stress response. Yeah, and like trying not to be a bit of a shit back. Andy, if you stress Penny enough, she will rub herself. Oh. <laughs> well, now I feel uncomfortable. Speaking of uncomfortable... <laughs> V has a job for Evie. She offers to help him and he graciously accepts. We see her strolling into, I guess it's like a big cathedral place and we meet a bishop. Now, Finch has previously referred to this bishop as working in a correctional facility and that he was the highest paid priest there, 200k a month, which is excessive. Now, though, he's been promoted, thus he's a bishop, but also he is a paedophile. What a shocker! Catholic priest? Yeah. So, the job for Evie is to dress up as a small child, which she does. She warns him that V is going to come and attack him. He doesn't believe her and just tries to do a rape. So V turns up and fucks him up. But not before Evie fucks off. Yeah, I don't know. She's like, sorry, I had to tell him. Did you? Like, he, this priest, like, buys little children to bang. Why are you... 
I don't know. Sorry, I had to tell him. No. You've got a weird juxtaposition there. Do you want to stay stuck in a underground bunker for a year as a prisoner? Or do you want to try and flee and reintegrate I mean, yourself into society? I think that's that, yeah. That's more. If he's going to watch movies with me and make breakfast, then it's not terrible. I mean, it did look like good breakfast and breakfast. <laughs> and you get to eat Boris Johnson's butter. Yeah. Yeah. But I think being like outside, locked in a police state where you're in a curfew and you've got no freedom yeah. and everything is controlled for you, that doesn't seem much fun either. No, I think I'll take breakfast and old movies. Over hanging out with a paedophile. Yeah, definitely. I think most people are going to take that choice. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so Evie fucks off. She turns up at Daddy Dietrich's house, uh, who is her boss. She apologises for turning up and says that she had nowhere else to go. And he says, if the government ever searched my house, he would be the least of my problems. Now, this is interesting, Pen, because this is the exact same thing that V said to her when he showed her around. Oh. I love that you know that I don't know this. <laughs> Yeah. He then shows around his secret basement, which includes illicit artwork, some nude pictures of dudes, and an ancient Quran, all of which have been outlawed. Are you a Muslim? No, I'm in television. I know yeah. that quote. <laughs> yeah. Again, relatively accurate. Yeah. He admits that the reason that he was had asked her over the first time was because he needed to keep up appearances and that he is in fact a gay man and that he's hidden for so long and that if you wear a mask for so long you forget who you are a reference to a mask pen a metaphor yeah right that's yep. a metaphor right yep. yep smashed it <laughs> <laughs> so finch the copper he goes to see the coroner in regard to the priest the coroner recognizes the flower it's a scarlet carson and she says she used to see them quite a lot or something along those lines I can't really remember. By this point, it was 3am. <laughs> With Scarlet Carsons as well and the coroner, the Scarlet Carsons don't seem to have much relevance. But in the novel, V actually blows up the Lark Hill facility with surplus fertilizer that he's gathered after being given permission to grow them for acting under good behavior while he's in there so it's just another one of those things that got mistranslated through the films yeah because the scarlet carson's like come up again later we'll get to it but finch goes back to his office and has a little chin wag with stone and stone is like oh we're trying to find the people who work at the correctional facility and there was a doctor there who has gone missing. She's like she just stopped existing. They track out her name and work out who her new persona is. And it is the coroner that he has just seen. And he's like, fuck, dun, I've just dun, seen her. Dun. Oh, shit. Gotta fucking go, son. <laughs> Scarpers. She's the last person there that V hasn't killed. Who was involved in that facility. She's a snoozy lady. And she wakes up in the middle of the night with V in the room. She seems genuinely apologetic to him and is yeah. sad for what has turned out to him. And she asks if he's going to kill her. And he says... He's like, ha, he's done killed it. you 10 minutes ago, bitch. I did it 10 minutes <laughs> While ago. you were sleeping. So I think out of all of the deaths in this film, this is probably one of the most important because she is the only one who seems to have any sort of remorse and he kills her in a gentle way. 100%. Yeah, no, yeah. it's very relevant to the way that he was treated previously in the facility. Yeah. Because she, the whole time she was there, and we'll come back and come to it shortly, but the time that she was there, she did seem like she didn't want to be doing it. And she cared for the patients as opposed to just trying to make mad dollar out of it. Comparison of duty versus duty of care, isn't it? Yeah. 
So Fitz arrives, he's too late, but luckily the coroner, and I didn't fucking write down her name, she's now known as the coroner for at least the end of this paragraph and then she's done. She leaves a book to be discovered by Finch. And during the debrief, Sutler tells Finch that it could be propaganda from the terrorists. It could have been left by the terrorists. It could have been written by the terrorists and thus should not be shared with anyone. Otherwise, he's going to get a bollock in. He's essentially threatening him to keep everything in that book to himself. And for good reason. We get a narration of the book from the coroner, and it's essentially her diary. And she breaks down her job at the correctional facility. They were doing medical testing on inmates. Can't remember why they were doing the testing. What they were trying to do was they were trying to advance human physiology. So the reason that it's like the army and doctors and the bishops is because it's... Ideally, they want to make people stronger, fitter, harder to make them better weapons, essentially. Super soldiers. Cool. Yeah, that's not explained in this at all. No, it's not. The only thing that is, is that she says everyone who was involved died apart from the man in room five. Which is V as a Roman numeral. I got that thing. There is tons of Easter eggs like that throughout this film. If you want to sit there and Easter egg hunt, you can find literally hundreds. She explains that he has increased reflexes and basic anesthesia, so he doesn't feel pain. He has better reflexes and shit. This is heavily fucking undersold as well in comparison to the graphic novel it's a passing comment yeah it's yeah. a passing comment and it should be lent on more i appreciate why they didn't do it because the benefit of not doing it is that it is like any man can do this but yeah. obviously you're taken away from the fact that he is a fucking hero anti-hero more so than well yeah. yeah yeah he's an anti-hero so november the 5th in the facility there's an explosion and it all blows up all of her work is gone Everything is destroyed, except the man in room five, who casually strolls out, staring at her with no eyes. I assume they were burnt away. His skin looks like overcooked chicken in the CGI. This is the first time I've seen that, literally, when when he's standing outside that facility. The CGI is fucking horrendous. Yeah, it's not good. I've had to like go back and reanalyze while I was watching it, trying to be critical so that I can make sure that I've got a fairly unbiased standpoint. And some of the things I look back and went, "Fuck, being young and ignorant really does make you miss some things." <laughs> well, if it helps, I did. I did the same. Like last time I watched this was probably five or six years ago, and thought the same. And this time I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, this makes a lot more sense." The next morning, Pen Evie wakes up at Gordon's, and he's making the same eggy breakfast that V he made. Is. I know this because she says it. <laughs> she does say it, yeah. And she's like, huh, how weird. And he's like, yeah, it's because I'm V. It's the only explanation. Or we just both like eggy bread. Or we both like eggy bread. Eggs in a basket. It looks really nice. Mm. You also see that um, Stephen Fry can't pour champagne. Yes. Oh, really? At this point. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he literally is yeah. like vertically dropping the champagne from a high <laughs> into the glasses. It's all bubbles. It's really. When I saw that, I thought, mm. Mr. Fry, come on. You're a more refined gentleman. He's too fancy. Someone else always pours his champagne for him, I guess. I don't know if he drinks anymore, does he? I don't know. I don't think he's drunk for a while. I don't know his personal circumstance. (laughs) Finch has been up all night. He's been doing a good policing, thinking about things, and he starts to wonder whether there's a coincidence between St. Mary's and Three Waters, which was a water treatment plant. Previously, there was a biological attack, the worst in the nation's history. And it killed, I think, a hundred odd thousand. It was a lot of people. Eighty-four thousand total. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's always been implied by the government that it was the work of religious extremists, 
But Finch is wondering to himself and Stone whether if our own government were responsible for the death of almost 100,000 people, would you really want to know? Well, I've just written, oh, cute. He's surprised that his own government killed loads of people. Yeah, I think the governments are killing hundreds of thousands of people all the time. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Virus? Almost 100,000 deaths? How bizarre. conservative-esque politicians. How bizarre. You'd never believe it. It's like we're living in 1874 right now. <gasps> yeah, I'm fully expecting someone to bar to the front door and arrest me now. Yeah. Suttler is like, what the fuck is going on? Sort the shit out. I don't want to have to put up with this shit. It's on your heads if it goes tits up. Meanwhile, Evie and Gordon are watching an episode of his chat show. It's obviously pre-recorded. <laughs> and it's basically Daddy Dietrich taking the piss out of Suttler with a copy... Yeah, like a double of V running around and fucking around with him in a Benny Hill style sketch and culminates in the doubles of Sutler getting shot. Now, wise idea? <laughs> no, I've put he's going to get in trouble with all this Benny Hill shit. Yeah. Terrible idea because Sutler mm. breaks his lovely warm milk. He does break <laughs> his warm milk. He's so incensed. He does. As a result, Daddy Dietrich, our favourite Mr. Fry has his house Mm. smashed into, they get raided, and he gets fucked up. They black bag him, don't they? They black bag him. They love black bags in the bedroom. Yeah, Pen. (laughs) Yes, I know. It's the same way that they got her mum. Yes, I'm just checking. It was the same. She was under the bed, and she could see him under the bed, but this time she didn't go, Mummy! And get found. She said, Ooh, daddy. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm just checking to make sure that you were putting those threads together. I understood it. I just didn't care. <laughs> so obviously there's bagmen in the house and she tries to escape through a house. window. I don't know why she didn't just wait out another 10 minutes. Like they were probably halfway down the landing and she's like, I'm going to go now. Well, maybe she thought they were going to come in and look at all his kinky stuff as well and get rid of it. Maybe. But she gets out of the house and then she gets caught and bagged by a man with burnt hands. Oh. I'm burying the title with her pen, but... I didn't realise. You can see his hands are fucked. Yeah, I didn't see I think those. you also see a bit of his face as well. Because I was as in the dark about this next bit as her. <laughs> I didn't realise. That's what they want the first time. Yeah. Okay. She is thrown in jail and she is told if she can cooperate, she can return to her life. And if she gives up V, then it'll be fine. Otherwise, she'll be executed by a firing squad on account of all of her crimes and shit. She's been sort of framed for the bombing of the old Bailey and a few other shit as well. Yeah, she was kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time for a lot of places, wasn't she? Yeah. So they essentially torture her. They shave her head, which I think they did in real life. I've got a feeling that her reaction to having her hair shaved is legit. That was the same reaction I had when Sabrina gave me my lockdown haircut. I made a note literally just like, lockdown haircut, lovely. (laughs) (laughs) But when Anne Hathaway does it for Les Mis, they give her an Oscar. Yeah. They shave her head, they delouse her, they essentially torture her, feed her scraps and leave her to suffer on the floor. And she's having a pretty shitty time of it. There is a little mouse in her cell that she's mates with. I don't know if they're actually mates. They don't seem to go out (laughs) for a barbecue or whatever. But she does shove her hand in the hole in the wall and finds a letter written from Valerie. Valerie. This is all I have to offer you in this film, sorry. As she's reading the letter, we find out that Valerie is a lesbian lady who was cast out by her parents when she came out to them. She later becomes an actress and meets another lady. They move in together and they grow Scarlet Carsons mm. together. 
But as the civil war escalates, different people are seen as sort of dangerous and terrorists. So, you know, they come for people who aren't cis, white, straight. Yeah. They take her partner, Ruth, then they come to take her too, and they imprison her in the same place that Evie is. She writes a story on the toilet paper. It's quite a moving piece. It's all about, like, acceptance and fighting for who you are and being yourself, and it culminates with her being like, I don't know, you will never meet, but just know that I love you. Evie reads it constantly. She always does a weep. (laughs) Just one weep. Yeah. Weep. So she is given one opportunity, one shot, does she capture it or will she let it slip? Or her uh, arms heavy. Her knees were or weak. Or her knees weak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's given one more chance. She's told that she'll be executed unless she provides information and she refuses to cooperate still. The guard asks for her to be taken behind the chemical sheds and executed and she still refuses. And then she's told, you have no fear anymore. You're completely free. And the guard walks away, leaving the door open. It turns out this was all an elaborate test by V to see if she had resolve and if she would rat him out. And she didn't. And understandably, she's fucking furious because he shaved her head. He's like, you might never forgive me. And I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. You literally tortured her, (laughs) cut off her hair. Waterboarding. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Like when she walks out and she sees Barbie's husband, Ken, has been guarding the door. (laughs) You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, giant mannequin, yeah. I just like that the first thing she says is, you shaved my hair. I've got half my head shaved and I would be livid if you shaved the other half off, to be fair. And she had all her hair. Yeah. She asks what happened to Daddy Dietrich and unfortunately because he had a copy of the Quran, he was executed. More so than because he was gay. Yes. Hmm. But V has done this to help her and he has taught her to live without fear. And now she's a much stronger person. You can see when she goes to leave his lair later on that she seems to walk with more purpose and is less sort of meek. She gets her Shawshank moment, did not she? She does get a Shawshank moment. She collapses after she comes out of the cell and sees V for the first time. He takes her up to the roof in the rain and she is just stood there with her arms out, essentially bellowing into the sky. In the same way that V did when he came out through the flames. Oh yeah, I did get that one too. They have both been reborn. Every time I watch it, it makes me flash right back to Daredevil. Yeah. Watching that scene <laughs> yeah. on the roof in the rain, I just think, <laughs> is Daredevil going to appear now? 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 <laughs> Unfortunately, never does. That's such a deep cut, but I'm totally with you because I thought the same thing. <laughs> Evie now leaves and she's a stronger person. She returns the note and says, I assume you wrote this. And he says, I did not. He found the note in the same way that she did, and it is legit. And then he shows her to a weird fucking shrine dedicated to Valerie. It's got her movie poster up, there's Scarlet Carson's everywhere. It's fucking weird. It's pretty, though. You don't think that if that was the only thing that kept you going through an extended time of, like, imprisonment and torture, that you wouldn't fixate on that? Me? No. Try and honour that person? No, I'm too cynical for that shit. Fuck you, Valerie, you lesbian bullshit. (laughs) If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my own fucking cause. So she fucks off saying that she will see V only once more before the fifth. They have a conversation about him having a jukebox with 800 plus songs. He's never danced to one. I'm like, why not? Dance like nobody's watching. He also desperately pleads with her as well. Says, can you please just dance with me before you go? They never dance. No. Mm -mm. (laughs) No, not before she goes. I mean, he did just torture the fuck out of her. So I think she's being nice to him, like nicer than she needs to be to him right now. Does not 
embracing somebody in the rain on a rooftop just make you forget about the year of waterboarding? Apparently not. <laughs> Sutler is pissy again, and he's essentially spreading more propaganda. They're blaming the three water stuff on him and saying there's like an increase in viruses and all that stuff and essentially just spouting more bollocks to keep people scared but the fear mongering is not working and everyone is now like this is horseshit mate i feel like this is the bit where the actual world needs to take note i know we are a little bit but so this is the part where i think the film picks up everything up to this is like filler i think up until this point it's like sowing the seeds and this is where it starts to quicken before we uh, shit starts to go down really get into the meaty part so finch and dan feel free to correct me finch discovers who the original finger men were there was three of them yeah and only one is still alive one gave his gun a blowjob the other (laughs) sorry the other died of a heart attack or some shit drowned the other one fucked off as well so there's one left rockwood and finch finds out where he is goes to have a chat and Rockwood tells a story about a young politician who gains power exponentially, flouts political processes, and then launches a special government project that they put down as a search for biological weapons. However, it is just a search for power. The project ends violently, but does have some benefits. It creates a devastating virus. <laughs> benefits. That only they have the cure for. Then... Along comes a spider who suggests targeting the country itself, striking fear throughout the country and letting said politician win the election by a landslide, thus giving him the position of High Chancellor. Maybe that's why I didn't like this film, because it's too much close to home and I'm not. It's too close to home. (laughs) I'm not a fan. So across that whole monologue, you see like the rise of Sutler as he becomes like the young politician and then gets higher up in the ranks. And then you see shots of Lakeside Shopping Centre and the correctional facility. I can't remember. Larkwood. Lark Hall? Lark Hall. Oh. <laughs> like, was it Lakeside? Did I miss that? <laughs> it's Lark Hill. Oh, fuck. I still got it wrong. <laughs> shots of Lakeside Shopping Centre. So you see shots of like that and Lark Hill, Lakeside, people pushing prams or whatever. They're trying to get into mother care. Then you see Creedy, he's referred to as the spider, and shots of London, and then like riot footage, and that sort of stuff. So the whole thing is like propaganda footage that is overlaid with this narrative of a nasty arsehole getting power. We now cut to Mr. Creedy, who is in his house, spritzing some flowers. Are they also Scarlet Carsons? No, that's Creepy Creedy in his chrysanthemums at that point, I think. (laughs) Uh, what a band name creepy creedy's chrysanthemums that's a mouthful i can't i can't get that out quick enough so he's like spritzing them giving them a little pss, 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 making them nice and moist and then v turns up and holds a knife at him and v explains that a man as smart as creedy always has a plan and that he won't be outwitted by a politician and although subtler will try and push all of the blame for everything onto creedy creedy will have a way out He also knows that Creedy has fingermen on Sutler at all times, essentially as protection, and V offers to give himself up to Creedy if Creedy gives him Sutler, and it's the only way to stop V and his plans. Hmm. Missed that bit. So, as November approaches, and bear in mind we're now more or less a year from this start of the film, V sends out a a proverbial fuckton 
of cloaks, hats and masks to the residents of London. Masks for everyone. It's eight mail trucks full, but a lot, the train it? ones, what are they called? There's a lot. It's unfathomable how many it is. I think they said something like 400,000. Where's he getting them? Right, there's a factory somewhere making that and getting them to look like that's impressive. He's been planning this for 20 years. He's a very resourceful guy. Yeah. yeah. He's been sewing. <laughs> He's made them all himself. I was going to say, like 400,000. Like somewhere's making that. If they were making them before... Like the year before, and they saw the terrorists on TV, you'd be like, hang on a minute, aren't we making these terrorist masks? Or didn't we make them last month? But I guess maybe you sent them to China or something. But they're Guy Fawkes. It's not exactly, oh, I'm making the mask of the terrorist. It's I'm making 400,000 Guy Fawkes masks. I guess. Yeah. He might have gone from AliExpress. Wish. Uh, Alibaba is the one for uh, bulk orders. <laughs> Do you sell sheep? <laughs> Do they sell sheep? Baba. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> How did you miss that? Are you me? I don't know. Metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> so these masks and capes and shit get sent around London and people are just sort of fucking around in them. There's a little girl running about with the mask yeah. on playing on the wall. It's the same girl that we see in the beginning with her family. There's a dude who holds up a newsagent's wearing it and it's supposed to imply the start of like anarchy within the country and that now that people are sort of faceless and nameless they'll be able to stand up for themselves more. Yeah. Things escalate when a child in a mask is shot by... I nearly said I liked this bit, and that's not how I meant it. (laughs) Wow. But, like, it's the way... I don't like her getting shot, because I have written, oh, no, he shot her. (laughs) But it's the fact that I don't remember who is talking over the top, but someone is saying, like, Finch is saying, like, something big is going to happen, and then it's all fucked, and then it's all going to kick off. And the way that they've juxtaposed that over the top with, oh, this is the big thing that is happening. And I enjoyed that. Yeah. So the child is shot. It's the same child that we see through the beginning of the film. And suddenly the streets aren't as quiet as they would have been. There's Because it's a policeman that shot her, isn't it? Because he's yeah, it's just a seen man. him and gone, fuck, yeah. it's a terrorist. Even yeah. though she's probably four foot tall. Yeah. So the dozens of people who come out and are now fighting for their city kick the shit out of them. I'm assuming it's a murder because one of them's got a pretty big bar that he's about to beat him to death with. Yeah. Again, we've seen this happen recently in America with the George Floyd situation. Mm. So everything in this film up until this point has happened within the last 18 months to an extent. It's quite terrifying when you think about it, isn't it? (laughs) One of the reasons I bought it as well is because there's Mm. such a close comparison between this film and current circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Creedy puts the next on his door to indicate to V that he will deliver Sutler to him. He's fed up of Sutler talking to him like he's his bitch. He's not an happy boy. He's just so shouting. He is. He's always shouting. So it's now the 4th of November and Evie turns up at V's to see him one last time before the 5th. They do a dance. Finally gets his dance. I can't remember what the song is, but it certainly wasn't Slayer. Is it Africa by Toto? <laughs> no, it wasn't. V says he's got a gift for her, one last gift, and he takes her to an underground station, which I assume is where he lived. It's implied that he was living underground earlier. And to a tube train. And on the train is a fuck ton of explosives and fertilizer and fireworks. He leaves the choice of whether or not to set the train into Parliament in Evie's hands. Why is it her choice now? I know he explains it, but then he's like, it's not my choice to make anymore. I'm like, well, why is it her choice? 
because it's a it's a signal for the future. He's saying that it needs to be decided by someone who's going to be here in the future to see it off instead mm. of you know voting for something and then dying a couple of years later like we've seen with Brexit and shit. Yes, he's fully aware that he's going to his last stand as well with Creepy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he knows that he's on the way out and he's accepted it. He's got no fear of death in the same way that Evie didn't have any fear of death post torture. Are you happier with it now, Pen? Or are you still like, this is bullshit? <laughs> I didn't think it was bullshit. I just thought it was a bit like, it was like I've set up this whole thing and I'm not going to pull the trigger. You've got to do it. I was a bit annoyed, but you've kind of explained it, but well, you have explained it, but I'm still a bit like, it's a lot to put on a person. Yeah, but she's not afraid anymore. So she can make that decision no. and live with her consequences. So Evie says to V, he doesn't have to leave. He can stay with her and he doesn't need to go anywhere. She plants a little kiss on his little plastic mask. Awkward as fuck. It is Every weird. time I watch <laughs> yeah. it, awkward as fuck. Mm. And he says he can't, walks off, and then meets Creedy, who drags Sutler down the steps of the underground station, puts him on his knees, and then shoots him, taking out the high chancellor, and then demands that V unmasks himself, although he obviously refuses. You'd want it though, wouldn't you? You'd want to know. But you'd be curious. But it sounds like he's kind of burned and you wouldn't know anyway. Yeah, I mean... It's not like he's going to pull it off and be like, oh, it's you. Well, he says yeah. to Evie earlier on that behind the mask is a face that is no... Like, that isn't his. Yeah. It's just skin and beneath that is muscle and then bone. Yeah. You know, he has become that Guy Fawkes mask and he is as his embodiment now. Um, Creed is a smug prick. He made me feel non-smug. He's way <laughs> smugger Ooh. than I am. Yeah. Consistent smugness as well. Yeah. yeah. My smugness Your is smugness up and comes down. And goes. <laughs> <laughs> Inconsistent smugness. So this is probably the scene that is most notable. I think this is the scene that most people watch this film for without realising that the rest is very heavy and political. So Creedy, as the smug prick he is, he's like, you can't do anything. You've got nothing but your knives and your fancy karate gimmicks. We've got <laughs> guns. And V quite calmly says nope what you've got is bullets and the hope that once your guns are empty i'll be dead and thus creedy's men open fire on v totally shredding with the the bullets and then they're all empty and v stands up and says my turn (laughs) and he fucking goes for them he's knifing them all and it's quite a graphic scene i'd say there's like jammy blood going (laughs) everywhere it's like someone's just stepped on a fucking bottle of ketchup. Yeah, they are going for the sort of comic book splatter in this yeah. scene. And it's probably the only time where they're using any level of like excessive blood splatter yeah. is mm. the most graphic scene in the film. Yeah. yeah. But stylistically, it's quite impressive. You see motion blur as he's moving so quickly that no one else can do it. He's launching knives at people. And essentially, he fucks everyone up. Everyone is dead but Creedy. And Creedy's like, why won't you die? He's still shooting him. This sounded so wanky. <laughs> Sorry. I think this is probably the most recognisable quote of the film. V says, beneath this mask is more than flesh. Beneath this mask is an idea. And ideas are bulletproof. And I think there is a level of truth to that. I know it is a bit pretentious. Like, I got it. But yeah, I was just sort of... But, you know, you spent the whole film with him being verbose and flamboyant and theatrical. True. And it's pretty much on par with what else he should have said and he's right the whole Mm. course of this film is him planting a seed to everyone else by saying that something is wrong and then it escalates and escalates it's like inception in the fucking fourth tier 
He uh, strangles fucking Creedy, snaps his neck, and then he takes off a piece of armour from under his cloak, and it's the same armour that was on the suit of armour in the Shadow Gathering. The same suit of armour he's fencing when he's talking about the Count of Monte Cristo. It is, yeah. yeah. He takes the armour off and it is just riddled with bullet holes and he's sort of dripping blood everywhere and he's in a real shitty shape. He makes it back to Evie and to paraphrase, because by this point I was knackered, he says that he didn't believe in things after everything he'd gone through and now he does and that he loves Evie and she has given him a new sort of belief and lease on life and then he dies this made me feel fucking nauseous in the graphic novel there's no love interest whatsoever so <laughs> yeah i don't see what he when needs watching to. this every single time it's cringeworthy it's literally just for the hollywood appeal of adding a love story twist yeah there's it gotta be an appeal to yeah she then puts him on the train puts all the scarlet castles around him goes to hit the lever and then finch arrives who had been going through the tunnels and had heard the gunshots and he tells her to remove her hand from the lever that will send the train into the houses of parliament and she refuses saying this country needs more than a building it needs hope and finch lowers his gun the whole way through you've seen him soften on the idea and realize that everyone in power is tyrannical and isn't you know, fair and looking after the people. And I think this is a, a representation of that, that he is, although he's in a position of power, he's one of the people. Meanwhile, thousands of people dressed as V are descending upon Trafalgar Square. Okay. And with no word from Creedy or Sutler, because they're both dead, they're just let through to the Houses of Commons. As the bells of Big Ben chime at midnight, pulls the lever and sends the train with V's body still inside into the Houses of Parliament. And it explodes to the tune of the 1812 Overture. Fireworks, Yay. people like fucking celebrating and everything. So Finch asks who V was. And she says he was Edmund mm. Dantes. He was my father and my mother. He was you and me. He is all of us. I am Spartacus. The people in the crowd start to remove their mask. And it is the people that we've seen earlier in the film who are dead. So Stephen Fry takes his mask off. The kid who got shot earlier... Valerie and Ruth take their masks off. And that is V for Vendetta. I'm going to start on Dan first before Penn ruins it. What's your thoughts, Belle? My thoughts are that this film was probably one of those films when you're, in my youth, sort of inspired my little uh, revelry in anarchy. And (laughs) I hope that that's the same thing that some other people will get from the film. It's nice to see that they managed to publish a film that remained poignant whilst also really flexing on the fact that we are in a corrupt situation. Alan Moore has always been anti-establishment. I think that the way that they kept that anti-establishment vibe strongly in this film was probably the purest representation of Alan Moore's works. Mm -hmm. If there was any of his works that he would enjoy, it probably would have been this film. I just hope that some people may watch this film and realise that not everything you're told by people in power is Mm going to be legitimate and that maybe there is some real truth in thinking power corrupts. Overall, some of the acting could be wooden at times. Natalie Portman, this isn't her best role. Without doubt, this isn't her best role. Because it's not Leon. Hugo Weaving did a fantastic job, personally, I think, in this film. Yeah, Uh, well, he he came in and subbed James 
Purefoy, didn't he? He, he yeah. started in, did a few weeks of filming, and then yeah. Hugh Weaving came in, redubbed everything, and redid the roles. Yeah, because Hugo Weaving's um, classically mask trained. Purefoy <laughs> stepped out of it because he couldn't deal with working in a mask. So Hugo Weaving really saved, saved the day. I bet he's more film. used to being in a mask now, isn't he? He could do it now. Yeah, I think that's the same for most of us, unfortunately. <laughs> right, yeah, I get it. A face mask. I don't know why I didn't click. Topical. I would agree with you. I do really like this film. It's interesting because in the past I was like all in for, you know, the violence and the stuff. But I think looking at it as like a political allegory for what's going on now, it's interesting how appropriate it is in 2021. Like, Alan was a fucking genius, he nailed it. Mm. He's said in an interview previously that his vision for Sutler was literally exactly how he imagined Margaret Thatcher operated every day. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. One of the things that would have made this film stronger would have been if they did take more of Alan Moore's purist idea and translate it across. But that's always the issue with Hollywood adaptations, isn't it? It has to be... Yeah, they have to streamline it and make it accessible for everyone. So I I do like it. I think it's a good piece to learn from. I think if you want to learn about depth of characters and intent, I think this is probably quite a nice one to look at. We've kind of rushed through it quite quickly, so we've missed out a lot of things, but we've hit all the main notes. You couldn't cover it all anyway. We'd have to have a whole episode if you went through a whole long episode there is so many layers to the film that it's do you want to talk about the main plot points do you want to talk about what you can reference from it do you want to talk about the ideation but it was written by the Wachowski so it's it's well written I think it looks pretty stylish in a sort of bleak way and Hugo Weaving is fantastic and I think Finch is pretty good Creedy's good John Hurt as um, Sutler was he was great shouting a lot casting was really really well done yeah so yeah pen now that we've sort of rated it quite highly you can bring it down (laughs) i mean i don't want to say it was bad it wasn't bad i uh, have a lot of political ennui without sounding well without trying to sound like a knob i only have so much brain space for politics which i know is not really an excuse and we should all be involved and it's all very important but i'm just trying to get through the day um (laughs) a lot of the time so the fact that it is like oh hey we're kind of living this right now probably subconsciously didn't help made it feel a little bit dire yeah i think i'm just having that i think you're having a time at the moment and i don't think this helps i'm having enough of a time in my own life without all the politics as well so i think it is a bit of a self-preservation mechanism to not think about it too much i also live in a house full of people with different political views than me which filthy tories yeah is quite (laughs) difficult when things come up which i try to not let them come up very often so yeah probably somewhere like i'm not saying it's bad at all i just and i watched this before i watched the shit zombie movie as well it didn't catch me i wasn't interested i was bored which is not to say that it is boring or anything like that. Nancy Portman's voice did fucking annoy me. At one point, I was like, if he's going to talk in all those words and she's going to talk like that for two hours, I'm going to struggle. But obviously, he didn't. It is a slow burn at the start. Yeah. yeah. I think it was a lot to process, and I just have a mental block of not processing any of it right now. <laughs> well, it's very dense with information and imagery and metaphors. It's quite, like, visually, it's quite grey because it's supposed to be. You're yeah. just trying to replicate that. So when you're talking about Finch and all those other people, 
in my head, I don't know who any of them were. I don't know which one was which. If it you're was... disengaged from the beginning, though, it's going to yeah. be hard to keep on top of it because it is all names yeah. and, and yeah. the way that it's shot, it's literally kept in those either black and grey tones or sepia yeah. tones for a flashback and everybody is yeah. similar. If, you, yeah. if you're not actively engaged from the beginning, it can be quite yeah. tough. So this is probably more of a me thing than a film thing. I do remember watching this with someone before, but I fell asleep after five minutes. Um, <laughs> so not not selling it. It's very rare for me to fall asleep in a movie unless I am completely exhausted. Like I'm mm. not one of those people that puts the telly on and falls asleep. So I must have been shattered. I think I've seen like the first five minutes and the last five minutes. But again, that was possibly fucking 10 years ago. To be fair, it sounds like if you were to have just watched the first five minutes and the last five minutes, you would have had a considerably better time than you did with the two hours of film. Yeah. It's an odd one because I thought Drive, as we know, was fucking boring and fucking stupid. And I'm not saying that about this at all. I just don't think it's the right time and place. Like, who knows? Maybe if I'd have watched it in Engaged a few years ago, I'm all with the anarchy and all that kind of stuff. And it is important and... Although I said it was wanky, like the ideas bit is important, but I just can't take in any more of that right now. <laughs> That's fair. I will say this. We checked in with regular Dan and he loves this film. He does so love this film. three out of four is a success, I think. Fantastic. Yeah. Aces. God, I'm fucking Oof. knackered now. That was hard, right, wasn't it? Yeah, I bet you are. Cool. Right, Pen. <laughs> you want to do the socials? You can find us on Instagram. You think I'd know this by now. I still have a fucking post-it note with it written on. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Unusual Suspects Pod and on Twitter at Unusual Podspec. I am at Penny underscore Photopit. At Choices21. At Bug underscore Boy. Yes. Yeah, someone that actually wants to give up. Everyone just usually looks at us like, oh, I don't want to tell people. I am desperate <laughs> for followers. I'll take anyone. <laughs> I will say, Joyce is 21 on Instagram is not me, it's some woman in oh, no, Brazil. So if you're looking there, she might enjoy the, the film questions. You don't questions. use Instagram anyway. I don't use it. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming, Dan. It's been nice having a Dan here. It's been an yeah. absolute pleasure. Thank you for your company. Thank you Number for the opportunity. Number one fan, Dan. You're welcome. God damn I'm right. I'm sure we'll have you back at some point. Thanks for listening to all our episodes. Do you have a favourite? Uh, my favourite is the original Internet Ghost. The ah, one Andy doesn't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely don't remember. I think I've listened to it two or three times since as well. It's like every time I listen to it, I get a contact eye and I can't remember what the fuck was going on. Just your brain is automatically deleting it. Yeah. This might put you on the spot, but are there any films that we've talked about that you've gone, oh, I might watch that? Have you joined in with any of the hat films? I watched Drive alongside you guys because it was one that I wanted to see anyway. And I have watched a couple of the films that you drop in the intro, some of your cheesy horror films. The Killer Sofa. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I've got, I've got <laughs> to say, I've got to say that I was it's not sober one. at the time. But so <laughs> when you when you smoke a fat doob and watch the killer sofa it's absolutely impeccable it was a, it was a fantastic <laughs> film then i recommend doing the same with uh Karis hell as well then that is on my list nice. top tip get high and watch penny's shit horror films to be fair i think if you and dan did that every time one of the horror films was mentioned you'd probably have a thoroughly enjoyable time i mean we'd be on way more tangents than normal <laughs> <laughs> also true well, that's it. We'll call it a day. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Thanks for... Episode 50. That's Next a milestone, week. isn't it? 
That's really good. Dan loves a milestone. Where is he? Do you reckon we should get him back as a guest and then bin him off again for 51? <laughs> do you think he'd do it? No. <laughs> do you think 50 is a significant enough number for him to want to be roped in for just one? No, I think 52 because no. that's a full year. Yeah. Nearly a year of listening to us talk bullshit. I'm so fed up with the sound of my own voice. And yours, Pen. Yeah. And too. Dan's. Oh, just fed up of all of us. If it makes you feel any better, you make my Wednesday morning early shift at work bloody brilliant. Oh, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Uh, toodaloo. Bye. Bye. Bye.